0: LIDA's Tool and Library Qualification Podcast with your host, Oskar Slotos.
1: Hello, my name is Oskar Slotos, and I'm your expert in tool qualification and avoidance of tool qualification.
0: And I'm Ivana Kuracic, your friendly representative of the audience. Now on our podcast, we've talked about tools, libraries, compilers, and almost anything under the sun if it concerns qualification. But what we haven't discussed is something much more complex. Toolchains. So, Oscar, how do we even define toolchains?
1: Well, a toolchain is uh, more than a set of tools, because a toolchain is the connection of tools.
0: So does that mean that all the tools of a tool chain are interconnected in a certain way?
1: Yes, uh, they are interconnected. So there might be some human steps that break the, stu- the tool chain into subchains or whatever, but usually the tools are uh, connected to each other.
0: How do we define one tool chain? Does it have one purpose? Can we define a tool chain within a tool chain?
1: That depends all. So you can have a single tool, for example, a tool. Which is a, a make tool agent, uh, or I mean where you have other build tools. And such a build tool uh, is somehow uh, like the master in your tool chain, and that it says, okay, I'll get some source code, then I will call this tool, then I wait for the result. If everything is okay, I'll call this tool, I'll call this tool. Though so those are like in the center of a network, so they call many, many different tools. So this is a central, centralistic architecture somehow this tool calls a lot of tools. But there are other tools that are just, uh, if you see, for example, a linker, you always, usually you compile your code and then you link your code and then you have the executable. So this is like a sequential chain. So there are different forms of tool chains, but usually a tool has a finite set of inputs and a finite set of outputs, and there are not so many connections.
0: It sounds like tool chains are not necessarily disjunct collections of tools. So, why do we think about toolchains? Why don't we just limit ourselves to tools and make sure that they are as good as they can be?
1: Yes, because a toolchain is more than a list of tools, because they are connected. And the big advantage of having a connected toolchain is that the tools can detect the errors vice versa. So, um, if you have three tools doing something similar or working together, then the tools can detect the errors vice versa. For example, if you have a testing tool and uh, you perform tests with the testing tool, um, then you might detect uh, also code tests. If you're testing generated code, then you might detect, um, well, of course, errors that the modeler or the coder uh, did, but also errors from the code generation tool. So one tool connected to another can detect the errors of another tool. And of course also the other way around. So one tool can also avoid errors within another tool. So for example, if you have a MISRA code guideline checker and you run your code through the MISRA code generator checker, then it might restrict this code to MISRA-compliant code. And then, if you apply then a compiler, then it's less likely that you fail into um, critical errors of this compiler. So this is also a way of detecting and avoiding potential errors.
0: So in a way it simplifies our way of thinking with all the tools we have to use if we separate them into relevant tool chains it makes it easier to deal with them.
1: Well uh, usually um it's 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 the opposite actually because <laughs> because um have, treating a tool as a separate thing is just uh, uh thinking of a single tool but a tool chain uh, then there are many connections and uh, how do they relate and uh, for example, if we go to a customer and the customer says, can you help us in analyzing the tool chain? So then we need to find out which tools are uh, used together and how they are used together. All these interactions make it a bit more complex. So you have a bit more work to define a tool chain than just uh, defining the list of tools. However, this work pays off because if you then go to the argumentation, then you usually end up with the tool chain being less critical uh, Than the uh, single tools, all qualified as standalone. So, you, you read, reach better uh, results or, or less critical results for the tool qualification if you qualify the tool chain or, or classify, of course, first and then eventually qualify it. But this is better to, if you do it on the tool chain, you reach much more uh, efficient uh, and uh, cost effective solutions.
0: When Validas first joins a qualification project, how do you go about figuring out which toolchains exist in it? What are the easiest ways? What are the ways that you usually follow?
1: Good question. So uh, usually uh, uh, you, you notice this uh, during the talk. So when you present your your methods and you ask how what kind of tools you have and then they say, oh, we have only those and those tools and then you get an overview uh, if it's rather f- five or 50 tools. So that's something you will get uh, uh, a good feeling on this with experience.
0: So everything is usually solved within a workshop and you don't encounter a lot of problems people tend to document these things very well.
1: Mm. <laughs> Not so frequently, no, no. It's rather uh, that people say, oh, if you're doing the tool chain analysis, can you create a document for us that is compliant to ISO? <laughs> we would need this because whatever. And then you get a lot of uh, uh, reasons. Okay, we can develop this. That is also a good benefit of tool chain analysis to have a well-documented tool chain afterwards.
0: Or Ideally, have a well documented tool chain before the analysis makes your job a lot easier, right?
1: Yes, yes. If people make our life easier, we are very grateful, yes.
0: So, this sounds like it can get very complicated when you actually deal with all the components of different tool chains. How do you usually represent tools to yourself? Is there an easy way of keeping track of them, or do you simply have a list of tools and then try to make sure that they fit into the same tool chain that they're supposed to.
1: Well, we use model of tool chains to uh, describe them. So then uh, this has a ma- many advantages of uh, um, a model-based engineering um, because you can then better manage them. You can uh, um, also connect them better. You will get the right questions if you have a model. So it's not saying, okay, I have this tool and this tool, and then you write it into a document. Uh, so you will have, uh, for example, the model can uh, ask you, oh, there's a tool chain, but there's a tool, but it's not connected to your tool chain. So it doesn't get inputs and it doesn't produce outputs. So what a kind of strange tool you have. And then, ah, I need to find out uh, where do the inputs come and where, what is it producing. And by the way, uh, it's also described in the safety standards like ISO 262, that you have to specify the inputs of a tool and the outputs of a tool and if you don't know this then it's not so good and the model based tool helps in that and of course the, the model can then also generate the documents so once you have classified the tool chain you just press a button and get a nice report
0: how do you normally find yourself analyzing tool chains in which context is this
1: well we have we have two contexts one is um that a tool chain provider so um, a company providing some tools together like a test framework or a a development framework and they want to make their tool chain safe but usually it's more the user that says okay we are using uh, 50 tools can you please classify them i don't know how we are working together oh and then um, it's interesting sometimes you have uh, it department saying we are using those many tools uh, for development, um, but they don't know how. And then you come to a project and they can explain you, yes, we use this tool and then we use the compiler and then this and this, and that's our, our process. And then you go to another project and they saying: oh, we are using with AutoZAR development, we have uh, similar tools, but this is another tool and this is. So then it's a different variant of a tool chain, as we say, for example. Another variant might be model-based development where you have modeling tools, simulator tools and others. So there are different uh, variants uh, within toolchains, and that's something where the model really pays off because then you can switch easily from one variant to another and see uh, how things change if you move a tool or change a tool. We use the TCA, which is our toolchain analyzer. That's the name of the tool we are using uh, to build this model, to generate the documents and so on.
0: So it sounds like it's fairly simple for you now that you have your models, you throw your tools in there, you find the tool chains and you keep track of them. Is there any situation when it's not that simple, when it becomes more complicated to understand the different relations and interconnectedness of the tools?
1: Yes, there are several things. So one is just if the customer says, we're having 500 or 1,000 thousand tools and we have just three months to do it. So then it's, hey... <laughs> how can we do this? How can we help you? Where to start? Where to stop? And in this case, it's uh, It's uh, important to find the right abstraction. So you can group tools to sub-tool chains and say, okay, we just consider your testing environment. Even if it's 50 tools uh, somehow working together, we consider it as a testing environment. And then we classify it as a testing environment and saying, okay, you get the uh, the software in, you get the test report out and you get the coverage out. And then we uh, analyze different use cases as a whole. So this is a good idea to abstract it. And of of course, uh, if the abstraction is not yielding good uh, uh, enough results so that you need to know more information about the sub-tools in this tool chain, then you can still refine it and say, okay, let's dig one level deeper and make uh, analysis here. We can also do graphical models of tool chains, meaning we can display and draw the tool chains and show um, people that uh, they see how their tools working really graphically. That's also an uh, important uh, thing to do.
0: What do producers of tools and tool chains need to know about how to structure them for safety standards?
1: Well, um, usually the safety standards have uh, separate chapters on how to qualify tools or how to create confidence in tools, and uh, they have a different uh, approach. But in the essence, it's very similar to what you do with a system. So with a system, you do first the hazard and risk analysis, Hara called, and then uh, you know how critical is the system. And once you have a safety integrity level that measures the criticality of the system, then you can, uh, in the next step, apply some risk reduction mechanisms, so like testing or reviewing or whatever. And within tool chain handling, it's the same thing. It's just that the safety levels is not called safety integrity level or ASIL or something like that. It's just called confidence level or tool qualification level to not confuse things. But the principle is the same. First, you analyze the risks, and this is um, done for all tools in the tool chain. It's called the tool classification. And then you reduce the risk wherever there is a risk. Uh, That's a qualification. And that's what uh, is uh, meant and what is required for the um, tool classification and optional qualification. You have to analyze the risks. And... This is not only a risk for the compiler, which is usually considered to be a very critical tool, but also for other tools that are used. And well, today we had an interesting discussion on uh, how Git is used um, in a complex process, which sub-tools are there used? And the question was, is this really critical or not? And um, at the end they said, well, and we are doing here some certifications and uh, some uh, comparisons to ensure that nobody has uh, introduced or modified a bit. And then said, well, if everything is uh, checked, said it's bitwise accurate, then nothing can have happened. And those was then an uncritical tool chain. So this was good news uh, because they had uh, so many things built in that they could really verify that uh, every single bit was okay. Well, this is just an example for uh, what uh, people do uh, with tool chains and tool chain presentations.
0: Validas, safety for your tools and libraries. Contact us at www.validas.de and ask for a free strategy talk.
1: Once we had uh, an IT department saying, Hey, can you classify the tool ZIP? for us, 7-zip. And we, huh, that's an easy thing. It just zips and unzips, so two little use cases, and uh, that's easy. And we made a very uh, cheap offer and say, okay, we can do this in a week for you, and then we are done. But then the IT department says, well, sorry to say, but we don't know how the tool users are using zip, and um, there is a user manual and there are a hundred different options and there is uh, windows integration and you can use it from command line and you can say seven zip and email things and uh, uh, you need to consider all those different options and uh, compression rate and modes and whatever and general settings and we were so oh what yes it's true and those are really fine grind modeling things and um, this is uh, the granularity of modeling and It depends. If you're using in the project, uh, at the end, you have your zip file and you're distributing your software as a zip file. Then, of course, there is a risk. Hey, uh, it might be uh, zipped wrongly and then the user is unzipping it and just flashing it and that it won't work. So then, of course, there can be a mitigation. If you have a zip file, then unzip it and test whether it's the same. Very easy to approach and uh, very abstract. So it's
0: always very important to consider how deep and how granular you want your particular tool chain to be.
1: Yes, and and usually when you build a, um, a tool chain model, you do it as abstract as possible. But but if you are a vendor of a tool, like in this case, the IT department was distributing the 7-Zip tool internally, uh, then of course you have to be prepared for many things. And they want to have a more fine-grained model, allowing people to configure their use case more precisely. So that's a bit the abstraction and granularity and the more abstract you model the less work you have but uh, sometimes also you don't get the exact results you might need so if you for example say oh that's my testing tool chain and um, the problem that I'll detect an error here the, the risk that I don't detect an error is high so my total tool chain is TCL3 therefore I need to qualify it. And then it turns out that this testing tool chain consists of 50 different tools working together. And you have to qualify them all 50? Very bad idea. So in this case, it really uh, is recommended to do a more fine-grind analysis. Okay, in testing, we have a code coverage measurement tool and we have this and this. And we uh, you do a bit of more of refinement and you will get better results.
0: So as for every other case in qualification, it's important to... Specify your use case and then work with your tools and toolchains.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And what do we mean when we talk about a simulation toolchain?
1: Well, um, a simulation toolchain is a tool that allows you to uh, simulate your software before it's going to the product without having hardware And um, this is something where also uh, Matlab Simulink, for example, or other simulation tools allow you to build models of the software and execute the models and then see how the model will behave. And that's for many programmers or software developers, that's uh, more handy, uh, easier to understand, um, better to handle than the programming manually or generating code and bringing it to the target so they just do a simulation sometimes even the hardware is not present so they they have a model for a new chip they are building and the chip developers also have some requirements to make it fast safe and whatever Uh, but you say okay we have an, an interface defined that we can use for simulating and you'll do the hardware job of making it fast and uh, low power consuming and whatever so that's a good interface and then simulation tools um, well are they very helpful but then the big question comes do we need to qualify the simulator
0: oh (laughs) that's dangerous
1: do you do you or do you not? Yes, you can if you want so. Um, but uh, if you don't qualify the simulator, you still have to generate all the code and test it on the target. If you will say, okay, my tests on the model are sufficiently and uh, I know that everything is working well, I'm done. Uh, please ensure that the generated code is correct. I just want to press the button, then then the code generator is uh, not so critical. And the simulator itself is also something if, for example, simulation measures code coverage and says, now you have done everything that corresponds to MCDC coverage, or you have reached every state, or you have taken every decision, something like that, um, then it's also something which is important for the safety standard and should work with confidence. Compiling means just translating one uh, um, formal language into another formal language. So you can compile many, many different things, but usually people associate with a compiler, something like a C or C++ compiler that uh, makes out of a programming language, something that uh, can run on the machine. So that's typically what is seen as a compiler. But if you look under the hood, Uh, then you see okay this is not a single tool these are several tools and the compiler which is is rather what is called a shell so they somehow manage the compilation first it's passed then it's uh, optimized then it's translated to an assembly format then they call an assembler which translate the assembly to object code but then they call the linker which takes uh, object code and creates maybe a library or they call an archiver that creates an archive and then the linker reads from the archive. So this is a complete uh, tool chain that is behind the compiler. And that is uh, something you might model or you might not model. So typically we say that's one tool and uh, something like archivation or linking we we model as a feature, then the models tend to be uh, uh, smaller and then more elegant. Exception, of course, if you want, and that we, we had recently, uh, there was something like, can you test the preprocessor? Well, the preprocessor is also part of a compiler tool chain. And then it wasn't the aim to test the whole compiler, but only the preprocessor. Then, of course, you build a test environment for a preprocessor and not for the whole compiler. And the same for the linker. If somebody says, can you test my linker? Well, then you model it as a separate tool and test the linker. okay so that's it for today we learned that a toolchain is more than a tool because there are connections and those connections are more work to specify but it's required and within toolchains the tools can detect the errors vice versa so therefore you end up with less critical classifications than if you classify the tools one by one so a toolchain is more than a set of tools and you get better results uh, than if you classify the tool standalone.
0: In our next episode, we'll be putting all we learned about toolchains into practice. Be sure to tune in to Oscar's conversation with Robert Reitmeier, Validas' expert on toolchain modeling. But if you have questions on other topics in tool and library qualification, let us know. We would love to answer them. Our email address is podcast at That's it for today. Thank you for listening and don't worry about qualification. Be happy with Validas.